we're going to turn to a type of currency that you probably haven't handled very much, counterfeit money. Now, most of us assume that the bills in our wallets were printed by the government and are actually worth something. But that wasn't the case in the 1820s. Back then, the federal government didn't even print money. Private banks did. And when we say private banks, we're not talking Bank of America. A lot of these were fly-by-night operations, and each had its own currency designs, which meant there were hundreds of different currencies circulating. That made life a lot harder for merchants and a heck of a lot easier for counterfeiters. And so let's say that you're a storekeeper. This is Stephen Mim, a historian at the University of Georgia. And someone comes in, you don't know who they are, they hand you a bill on, say, the Bank of Utica. It's a $3 bill, and you want to know whether it's counterfeit or not. If you were a savvy merchant, you'd whip out a little book called a counterfeit detector. <laughs> it supposedly listed every single banknote in circulation and explained the difference between good notes and bad ones. So you'd look up that Bank of Utica $3 bill. And, of course, it gives you this endlessly bewildering description about how in the counterfeit, the horse looks vaguely suspicious, whereas in the genuine, it doesn't. It's a guilty horse. <laughs> it's a guilty horse. I'm serious. A lot of this is deeply subjective, obviously. And uh, hopefully that will help you determine whether or not it's uh, counterfeit or not. Sales of these books were booming in the early 19th century. And that's because counterfeiting was booming. As much as 30% of the money in some parts of the country was fake. Nowadays, that number is just a fraction of a percentage point. Now, as we mentioned, this was a time when private banks were popping up all over the place, each issuing its own money. Now, their banknotes were basically IOUs, the idea being that if you ended up with one of them, you could take it to the bank and redeem it for gold or silver coins. Problem was, a lot of the new banks were totally unreliable. There was hardly any government regulation, so many simply churned out as much cash as they wanted, even if they didn't have reserves to back it up, which meant that even real banknotes could turn out to be worthless. And this cuts to the core of what money fundamentally is for us on a, on a very deep, almost epistemological level. What is money? Money is something that can pass and, and function as money. That's almost like a circular argument, but... Money derives its value from its, its ability to move from one place to another and facilitate transfers. And as long as it performs that function, well, no one is really, you know, out. What you're suggesting, which is very distressing to me, Steve, is that the distinction between good and bad is sometimes hard to establish. Right. And the counterfeiters, of course, again, rhetorically uh, make hay of this when people attack them or even put them on trial. They're not beyond saying that what they were doing, printing money, was really no different than what the bankers were doing. But in fact, in some respects, was more honest, particularly when you put a counterfeiter side by side with a banker who claimed that he had money in the bank to redeem his notes. At least the counterfeiters acknowledged that there wasn't anything backing their <laughs> notes. Right. And at the same time, people who were on the other side of the equation who hated banks, not counterfeiters, but just ordinary working men and women, looked at banks and said, look, what you're doing is, is really – effectively counterfeiting. You're setting up these corporations, you're issuing money, you have no intention of redeeming it, and in fact, you seem to have no capacity to redeem it either. And so you're really just a counterfeiter operating with legal sanction. Steve, I, I want to press you hard. 
on how you really feel about counterfeiters after having done all this work and written this excellent book. Uh, I think you might be a little soft on them. Is that a fair charge? I think um, (laughs) the counterfeiters are – it's very easy to be sympathetic to them or at the very least taken with their exploits. The one thing though that I think sometimes gets lost when people talk about counterfeit money, they claim that it's a victimless crime and that's not true. The counterfeit money as it moves in circulation through the economy eventually stops. It almost invariably stops not at a bank but with someone who was the least knowledgeable person about money and was the one left holding the bag. And they're the person who is most likely to go to jail. And if you look at the actual convictions of people accused and and, and tried for counterfeiting or passing counterfeit notes, it's almost invariably the low-level, poor people, many of them immigrants, who sometimes couldn't read, who end up getting the shaft, getting left holding the bag. Yeah, this is this is a good point. This is the classic case of uh, caveat emptor, buyer beware, uh, and a lot of people are not capable of that kind of vigilance to know what they're buying. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're hitting on something actually very important, which is that in today's climate of free market fundamentalism, there is inevitably the claim that the market will sort things out, but. This period, and arguably more recently in American history, as in the last decade, I think shows that just as much as as one person may be far more equipped to wade through a mortgage document several hundred pages long, uh, people were more equipped to, to to discern the differences between money at this time. And that was not their fault. That was not, you know, coming off the boat from Ireland should not be be what ultimately right. lands you in jail. So, uh, Steve, let me ask, uh, how would you explain the end of this era? How is it that we now do trust our currency uh, and uh, that we're not worried constantly about the money supply? So, the answer to that question uh, comes with the Civil War. The Civil War is Mm -hmm. like the deus ex machina. It's the thing that that transforms so many things in American history. Yeah, Ed Ayers would agree with that. (sighs) And it it transforms the money (laughs) supply too. And uh, civil war comes. We all know that wars have to be financed as well as fought. And the North almost immediately runs into a crisis of financing. And while it ultimately pays a lot of the bills with bonds and taxes, it also pays the bills with a fiat currency known as the greenback. Mm -hmm. And this is a note that is worth what it's worth because the government says it's worth that. It's legal tender. These notes offer an opportunity of unimaginable proportions for counterfeiters who have been preying on small state charter banks, but now have the opportunity to prey on on the biggest bank of all, the federal government. And of course, they swing into action, the counterfeiters, and they begin counterfeiting them. And this would be fine, except that They are now doing something more than preying on private corporations. They are preying upon the state, a state which is actually threatened in its own survival. It has to win this war. And as a consequence, counterfeiting becomes deemed very quickly an immense threat because if the money supply, which is already viewed a little bit skeptically because it's fiat currency, Mm -hmm. uh, is counterfeited, it's a disaster. And so – The federal government gets anxious about this. 
And uh, they basically get an appropriation to create something that becomes known very quickly as the United States Secret Service, which is wow. not about protecting the president. Obviously, Lincoln would have benefited from protection. Yeah, uh, you might say it's that. very strange to think that from 1865 to 1900, the Secret Service did not protect presidents, but it did protect the currency, and it did so uh, phenomenally well. You're now painting a picture of the solution to the counterfeiting is the emergence for the first time of an effective federal state where it matters most in the money supply. And uh, you have a new infrastructure, to some extent clandestine, covert, dedicated to this war against traitors, against American sovereignty, the counterfeiters. Now it's no longer folk heroes, no longer a kind of a shadow extension of the economy. Uh, now the boundary between what's legal and what's not is bright and clear. That's right. And it is ruthless. It becomes known in, in one journalist's phrasing as a, as a gigantic invisible machine, a kind of surveillance state dedicated to crushing these people who dared insult the majesty of, of this newly reinvigorated state. That's Stephen Mim, an historian at the University of Georgia. He's the author of A Nation of Counterfeiters, Capitalism, Con Men, and the Making of the United States. <laughs> 